1: to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic presented by BetMGM. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. And may I just say, holy
2: shit. Yeah, something actually happened. You know, I was getting a little worried there. We were getting about 2.30 p.m., hadn't seen anything, and I was ready to write this off as a uh, potential bad day for Steve Eisenman.
1: You know... I was already writing up kind of my like post deadline notebook when this deal broke this, this, this trade Anthony Mantha to the Washington capitals for Richard Ponick, Jacob Verana, a 2021 first and a 2022 second rounder. Um, this trade doesn't break until well after 3 PM. We're, we're bordering on three thirty. the first you you're even hearing of it from Kevin weeks. Um, and then details come out over the course of the three thirty to, to four o'clock window, I'm already writing up a very mundane little notebook about the the impact of the Red Wings deadline, moving up Patrick Nemeth and John Merrill on the decor and the opportunities for Dennis Chaloski and Gustav Lindstrom. And along comes this trade, which I don't think it's an exaggeration to say is the single biggest move that Steve Eiserman has made as Red Wings general manager.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the mo- kinds of moves you and I have basically kicked around for the better part of this season where it was like, you know he's got a history of doing these these kinds of big shakeup deals slash transactions. You know he he bought out Vincent Lecavier. he traded Martin Saint Louis, he sent Jonathan Truan to to Montreal for uh, Mikhail Sergachev. So these were the kind of moves that Isman certainly wasn't shy about making. But to actually see it unfold, to see arguably the the best forward or the bare minimum second best forward on this team dealt uh for what certainly amounts to to future i guess kind of future planning uh was just exactly that it was a holy shit moment like i had had written off the day i was getting ready to take a little nap and then uh and then and then somebody pings me with uh with that mantha deal so you know it's kind of a it's the swing that Iserman sort of has been known to take and he steps up and he and he takes it again here in detroit
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, so start with like the bare bones of this. Number one, you're replacing Manta with a young scorer who is not that dissimilar from himself. I do think Manta is the better player. And I think that's why obviously Detroit gets picks in this trade, but you know, in talking to Steve Eisman very briefly, um, in that press conference earlier today, that's kind of what they liked about it is that they get the picks, but they also get the, the young roster player. They don't have to crater Basically, in the meantime, they, they can add a player who is not that dissimilar from Manta, although I think Mantha is the better player, um, and still uh, get that first-round pick in the 2022 second-round pick out of this. That, I think, is, is the sweet spot for this trade. It's something you and I talked about a lot, that any Mantha trade um, was going to have to manage, was if you trade him, you're arguably setting back your timeline significantly. This, I think, mitigates that. Now, could you have argued that... Um, could you have argued that getting more picks maybe is more geared toward when Detroit's going to be like primo contenders. I think that's certainly a fair argument, but I think this helps you in the meantime, keep Dylan Larkin, um, you know, on the track going forward, keep Tyler Bertuzzi, Phillips Zadina in a culture that has a chance to win games on a nightly basis, which losing Anthony Mantha was going to cost you. It keeps giving you that ability and you get the picks and we'll get into all the minutia around the pick in a minute here, but just uh, quickly on Jacob Vrana the profile here, from what I have gathered, is a, a very speedy player, a very good scorer, but not unlike Anthony Mantha, a little inconsistent at times.
2: Yeah, I think if, you, if you're if you looking for kind of the profile of Jacob Vrana, take Anthony Mantha and subtract four minutes of ice time a game, and that is Jacob Vrana, effectively for what he's been for the Washington Capitals. The two of them stylistically, very similar profiles. You know, Vrana's been around 20, 25 goals the last two years. You know, same with Mantha. Uh, you know, you look at them from a stat sheet and, and they're, they're almost mirror images of each other. And even from an analytics standpoint as well, um, they're kind of two guys that profiled very similarly. Um, and, you know, so the fascinating part is if you kind of step back, you this is going to be an excellent case uh, series or really kind of a case report on the, role, the impact of context, because you have Jacob Vrana effectively outperforming Mantha on a per minute basis, albeit very similarly, in a very different role with very different teammates and likely facing very different quality of competition. And so on the surface, it certainly looks like Detroit's maybe getting a wash or at least close to a wash with Mantha for Vrana. But I think the biggest thing is if you take Jacob Vrana and have him step up his role to being Dylan Larkin's line mate on the first line. Whereas, you know, in, in Washington, he's playing 14 minutes a night. And then you take Anthony Manta and you say, all right, you don't have to see top def- the the top defense anymore. I'm going to let you play with Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, you're going to get some power play time with Alex Ovechkin playing, you know, maybe on the, the right faceoff dot and let Ovechkin be teeing off on the left faceoff dot. You're going to pick up some points from there. And we're going to kind of tee back your ice time to about 16 minutes. You know, how much does, the, the profile of two players change. So I think it'll be a really interesting examination in kind of context and really how well these models account for it because on the surface, it certainly looks like in Vrana, you're getting a player that's at, at bare minimum, 90% of Mantha.
1: So here's what's interesting to me is that while Vrana wasn't playing big minutes, you're right, he never played 15 minutes over a full season in Washington. His his centers over the last couple of years have been Evgeny Kuznetsov and Nicholas Backstrom. And as we discussed recently, you know, I think, both of them are probably slightly ahead of the Red Wings' best center. I, I think you could probably put Larkin and Kuznetsov in a in a trade off situation, accounting for the completeness of Larkin's game. But in terms of just sheer offense, I think Kuznetsov's going to get you more. And so I think you're going to see Mantha's numbers go up in that setting. And I wonder if you're going to see Vrana's numbers drop for that reason. I mean, if if you play him with Larkin, you're playing him against top defensive matchups, and he's not the defensive player Anthony Mantha is. Um, now the Red Wings also don't kind of have the playmaking center behind Dylan Larkin to, to get him the puck. So that's a real thing that, that I think you're going to have to contend with here is that I don't think going forward, these guys are going to produce in line and Manta was already producing slightly better for their careers. Although a lot of that is buoyed by the 2019, 20 numbers for Manta. Um, I, I think ultimately you're going to see Manta outscore Jacob Vrana. Um, and I think he's a more complete player than Jacob Vrana. Again, that's why the Red Wings got a first and a second round pick in this swap. Washington's not crazy. They they know the situation here. Um, and I think a big part of this is that Jacob Verona had zero points in, in Washington's last two playoff runs. That spans 15 games, zero points. So he was not producing in the playoffs. Not going to be a problem in Detroit. I can tell you that. Uh, certainly not in the short term. Um, but that's a real thing. And that's why Detroit is getting these picks. I think Detroit wins this deal on value because they're going to be able to replace Mantha's um, a large chunk of Mantha's production while getting two premium future assets. I don't think it's this total heist regardless, because Detroit still has to hit on those picks to make it that w- that w- win in the trade, so to speak.
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree on that point as well. And I think that's the important context when when analyzing this is you, you see a lot of people going, oh. I can't believe Washington gave this much up. I can't believe, you know, they threw in picks on top of Rana, and Rana's a saturating player. I really do think there is something to be said about how much context is going to play a role here. I mean, you know, I'm actually hit the nail on the head. You look at Rana's last two seasons. This year, he's playing with Evgeny Kuznetsov and Tom Wilson. Last year, it's Evgeny Kuznetsov and TJ Oshie. Like, those are his line mates. Yeah. And, you know, unless he's playing with Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi, Detroit can't offer him anything mm-hmm. like that. And then again, you look at that Kuznetsov and Oshie line or Kuznetsov and Wilson line, that's a line that's then sheltered by playing behind Nicholas Backstrom and Alexander Ovechkin. So that's just, that is context and and protection that Jacob Vron is not going to have in Detroit. Um, Detroit also stylistically, you know, not as open of an offensive team as you're going to see in maybe Washington, right? You know, we've talked a lot about how Jeff Blasio likes to keep things tight. He's going to really expect a lot out of uh, you know, Verona def- defensively. So I don't think you're going to get the Washington Capitals version of Jacob Verona. I think you are going to see a, you know, pared down version. And at the same time, you're going to see Anthony Manta really ramp up his performance over there in that system. I think he's going to be an outstanding player for them. So on the surface, the value is not what it's, what it looks like. I think you are going to see some significant variability there. And then absolutely max, you have to hit on your draft picks. Um, you know, the 2021 first Washington's going to be in the playoffs. They're likely gonna win their first round. Maybe not. It's hard to say. But even if they at don't, worst, they're
1: at the very end of that tier,
2: right? Yep. Even if even if they don't, you're talking somewhere between twenty and thirty-two, right? So you are talking about a late first round pick here. Again, I'd rather have it than not, and would rather have that extra first round pick if you're Detroit um, in a draft that uh, arguably, you know, maybe people don't have as much information on as, on some of these guys as they might like. Uh, That would be a good pick to have uh, and absolutely something Detroit can do given their plethora of other picks they have in 2021. Um, And then the 2022 uh, second pick, second round pick, I think is also going to be an excellent value chip. You know, Washington's a team that I don't think is going to bottom out now that they had Anthony Manta in that respect at a cost-controlled value. And they're going to be able to bring back Alex Ovechkin. And even though they are getting older, they still have plenty of pieces. But that'll still be a solid second round pick. Uh, in a really deep 2022 draft. So ultimately you have to hit on those picks, but uh, I think the the there's plenty to like about it for both sides here.
1: I'm going to be very out of character for a moment here, do something that I usually rail against other people for doing um, very early into a player's tenure. Um, he hasn't even suited up for a game. I don't even know if he has put on a Red Wings jersey at all yet. It wouldn't make sense for him to have done that yet. Uh, Red Wings can also... Use this as a leaping off point to eventually trade Jacob Verona. Like that is, you know, the, the, I think we have to at least re- uh, recognize that possibility in all of this is that the Red Wings get him, they give him prime opportunity. They try and show that, Hey, like, you know, once he got away from whatever situation he was in before he looks, you know, you're not going to get playoff reps for him to show people what he could do, but maybe you give him to show something in his game that people think is going to translate to the playoffs. You move that for, for other future assets if you really want to. Um, or if he clicks really well with Dylan Larkin, if he clicks really well with Phillips Adina or Tyler Bertuzzi um, or anybody else in, in the coming years here and you feel like you find something that really works for him, great. He's 25 years old. That's right in your same little pocket with, with Larkin and Bertuzzi. Larkin's going to be 25 this year. Tyler Bertuzzi already turned 26. He's really just like a year and a half younger than Anthony Mantha. And if, if things work out great there and you find great chemistry, um that's awesome you found yourself a chip and then you can really reap i guess kind of full value out of those picks but uh even if even if uh, you feel like you know Vrana has been good and and you don't see him as a cornerstone for your franchise then i guess i guess i'm going to just say what usually i would wait for some fan to say in like a month which is you can always just trade him
2: yeah and honestly i think it's a brilliant idea to have already in your bag of options for Jacob Vrana because you know, as you're evaluating the Red Wings short-term plan and kind of what this deal really means, it, a lot of it comes down to what are you going to do with Jacob Vrana? Uh, is he going to be a guy that you want to build around as he's he just turned 25 in February? So, you know, a little bit younger than Anthony Mantha, it will be 27 in September. You're talking about almost 18 months of difference in age there. Uh, does fit better with Dylan Larkin and potentially with the younger core. But at the same time, maybe the move here. And maybe really the shrewd move, the way to take this deal from an A-plus to an A-plus-plus plus is now all of a sudden you take Jacob Ronney's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. You know, maybe he has a good run. You extend him to a team-friendly deal as Eisenman's been great in negotiations. And then in 2022, you look to flip him again for more picks. And, and potentially now you've got a guy who's 26 on a cost-controlled deal reaping exactly what Anthony Manta just brought you. And, and if you're able to turn that Manta deal into something along those lines with Rana again, uh, then I think you're really in business if you're Detroit, particularly if you're landing picks in 2022 and 2023. So that's another avenue that Detroit can absolutely go down. Um, and so that's just another kind of card that Steve Eiserman gets to hold here uh, as a part of his kind of vision or really blueprint for the Red Wings moving forward is you know, he has a lot of options with Jacob Vrana simply by making that shift down from from Mantha to Vrana. He's going to be able to do a lot of different things.
1: RFA this offseason. So he joins Tyler Bertuzzi and Philip Peronik as kind of young core pieces that they're going to have to work out a contract with. Um, obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm not someone who who prizes flexibility at the sake of all else, but this doesn't once again increase the Rubens' flexibility. You know, like they don't have uh, three guaranteed years on the books at a fixed number now. Although I don't know how long um, they envision themselves signing Jacob Vrona for. But uh, they could, either, I think, they could go one year here. Uh, they can go one year, right? Or, or would that send him to UFA?
2: I believe he has three. He has two more years after this year until he's UFA. So they could go so one year. They could here. go one year. Right? That would be the same thing yep. that they did with Bertuzzi a year ago. Correct. Yeah. So they could absolutely go one year for what it's worth. Evolving Hockey has his predicted contract at five years, 5.6 million, which is basically what you just shipped out in Anthony Mantha, uh, who was four years, 5.7 or five years, 5.7 million. Uh, And I'm going to guess they don't do that.
1: I'm going to guess they're not going to go long-term on a guy off his track record in a different situation because of all that context reason that you laid out a minute ago. I'm guessing you go real short here, maybe even just one year um, and then you work it out from there. Uh, in, in the same way that you did with Tyler Bertuzzi this last offseason, ideally without going to arbitration. But
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely looking at something around one year or at max four years if you're going to try and buy a couple of UFA years. I don't see them going longer than that. Um, the only reason I could see them going longer than that would be to uh, facilitate some sort of uh, deal if they're going to try and do a- anything along those lines. But I don't think that's going to be factoring into Eisenman's negotiation. To me, I think the most likely outcome is one year, $4 million, something along those lines, uh, and and keep him as a restricted free agent for the year after.
1: And I think that makes a lot of sense, too. But we'll see which direction they go. It's a little early for that. Um, but, heck, everything we're going to talk about today, it's a little early for us, So who cares? We're going to get to the picks in a minute. I want to talk about the expansion draft first. I think this is one of the sneaky elements of this trade. Um, so what happens here, you, you just figure that you're going to have to plug Verona right into the protected spot that you were – planning to use on Mantha, Um, even he's not signed for next season yet, regardless of what happens, they have to protect him or else he can be taken, um, even if he's not under contract, which is different than uh, the the two-player exposure limit. So the players who are count toward this the rule is you have to expose two players who are two forwards i should say um and one defenseman and um and then there's a different number for goalies but um two forwards who have who are both under contract for the 2021-22 season and have played a certain number of games over the last year or two years um it's changed because of the prorated season i think it's 54 now is that right
2: yep 54
1: yep so uh meets that and i think that's significant for this reason I'm I'm imagining that Washington is happy here to get out of this contract. It's 2.7 million AAV for two more years. Um, I imagine that's part of the reason the Red Wings got the draft pick return that they did. But one little benefit they're going to get out of it is that while the only kind of um, you know non-core players that they had that were going to fit this role previously were Franz Nielsen and Vladislav Nemesnikov, they can now add Richard Ponick into that mix. And if they decide that they want to protect Nemesnikov, they can expose nielsen and ponick and that will satisfy that minimum requirement and allow them to not have to worry about it on any of their other forwards and at this at this juncture i'm gonna go ahead and guess that's what they will do
2: yeah I think that was kind of a hidden wrinkle to this deal was bringing in a third forward um who meets that criteria maybe because they have a lot that yeah i should say yeah right right I mean because Larkin meets it but you're know, protecting meets those guys. it. yeah right it's it's a third guy who you can now put into consideration for a forward you want to expose and you just have to pick two of those guys. And so really it's it's Panik, it's Nemesnikov and Franz Nielsen. You have to expose two of them right now. If you're Detroit uh, based on the game plays requirement, because no one else is going to meet it. I think amongst their forwards um, going the rest of the way, I don't even think Sveshnikov can meet it, or maybe he's got 14 games to go um, to be that, but either way, he's not under contract uh, for next year. So it wouldn't matter. He's not under contract. He is a restricted free agent. So I suppose you could leave him unprotected and let him be claimed. But uh, all that being said, I, I do think that makes a lot of sense. I think you end up seeing Nemesnikov protected now, allowing Panic to be a guy that's exposed, not necessarily taken. Um, and so I think that's kind of another interesting wrinkle to this uh, this deal from Iserman.
1: Yeah, now what you're going to be deciding at the end of this protected list is you're going to be deciding, um, in addition to who to expose uh, it, it, to meet that threshold, you're also going to be deciding who to protect. And I think we're pretty locked in here at uh, larkin bertuzzi Verona, Fabry, and Rasmussen as as the top five on that list. Uh, I think you're gonna protect two after that of Nemesnikov, Ernie, and Smith. Probably tells you what they'll think what, probably will tell you what they think of Ernie and Smith in that sense because Nemesnikov is an older player who only has one year left on his contract. Heck, they could expose all three of those guys that we just mentioned and and fly past the measure if they want to protect both Smith and Ernie. Wouldn't surprise me if they protect uh, Nemesnikov and Ernie either. Um, and especially with the way Ernie's played, I think he would be on my protected list as of today. Um, but we'll see how that goes. And so uh, that's kind of how it's shaping up up front for the Red Wings, uh, which, which again takes us into a place where um, the Red Wings could lose either a forward or a defenseman possibly in this thing. Not sure it's going to be of a, 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 a catastrophic level either way.
2: Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I don't think you're really losing anybody catastrophic here. I think early season concerns of DeKaiser not meeting enough games played on the D end, uh, those have been abated as DeKaiser has now met the games played required uh, requirement to be that one defenseman that can be exposed that's that's played enough games, allowing the wings to, to protect Troy Stetcher. So I really don't think any loss in the expansion draft is going to be a
0: And days after the expansion draft will be the real draft, the 2021 draft. The Red Wings now
1: have a bevy of picks in that draft. They've got the two first rounders, their own in Washington's. They've got three second rounders, their own Edmonton's and the Rangers. They've got two third rounders, their own in Vegas's, and they've got two fourth rounders, their own and help me out, is it Colorado's? Tampa, Tampa, it's Tampa. Dang, I was on a roll there. I, I don't even have cap friendly up in front of me.
2: And then two fifth rounders, right? And they've got That's theirs in right. Ottawa. No, so. Right so you have 11 picks in the first five rounds in a draft where arguably there has been some limitation in your ability to aggressively scout these guys now i know max you were on the pressure with with Iserman and he briefly chatted about how at least they have some some information from last season on on a lot of these 2021 eligibles and you know with video they've been able to you know pick up enough that they think they'll be okay for 2021 but even still there's a lot of teams out there that Uh, simply have not been able to do the same degree or same depth of scouting that they've been able to do in years past. And as such, you may have guys slipping through the cracks uh, down the draft. And if you're sitting here holding, you know, 11 ping pong balls in, in, in the first five rounds, then you have a potential to hit a diamond in the rough.
1: Here's my thing, you know, they they can, so Eisenman talked about this and I thought he was spot on when he said this, which is that with drafting, you can either get really lucky in a year like this, or you can get really unlucky in a year like this. Meaning either the lack of scouting causes somebody unbelievable to uh, fall into your lap at this pick and like that we presume is going to be in the 20s um, because other teams weren't able to see him enough or, or some other reason. Um, or alternatively, it causes you to just flat out whiff and miss and take a bad player or pass on somebody that you're going to really regret passing on in a couple of years. Both potentials exist. The Red Bings do not have full control of that as, as nice as it would be to think that you can wheel your way to, uh, to, to managing that challenge and rising to the occasion. You can't guarantee that. And you can't guarantee it in any draft. Um, but it opens up possibilities of, of that kind of, uh, break going in their favor, and I also think people always talk about the trade up, especially when, when you're early in the second round. And you want to trade up. Um, history shows that you know you're only going to be able to get up a, a few spots that way. If you want, to, if you're willing, only willing to give up something like call it a third round pick, that's kind of what it's been in recent years. If this Washington pick lands in the early twenties, which I would call anything between twenty four and twenty. Uh I think this puts a trade up within the first round in play and that I think is a big deal because there are some players in this draft who if they get into that 14-15 range all of a sudden you are well in range with with the kind of draft capital you have to move up
2: 9-10 spots there and, and get a guy you love. Yeah, I mean Detroit's in again, you know, it's all about having as many cards in your hand as possible and and Iserman right now is absolutely loaded up. And so, you know, the trade up is an option. You know, he can continue to trade down and land more picks, right? If, let's say that Washington pick is, you know, 28th or 29th, right? Because they happen to go pretty far and you trade that back and you land two more second round picks. Well, now you're really kind of picking five times or, or in the second round and you're just able to load up on more guys that slip that way. So, you know, he's really got all these different options. I will say the one critique of some of his moves is sometimes I do think we place so much stock on having these third, fourth, fifth round, sixth round picks um, as, you know, shots in the dark. I think it's important to recognize how much of a shot in the dark it is. You know, so Max, I sent sent you this as a text earlier today. You know, I went through the 2005 to 2014 drafts just to make sure we had enough time uh, to really evaluate some of these players and looked at just the percentage of players that even hit 200 NHL games played, which... 200 is a pretty soft barometer. That's barely two, two full seasons. Um, you know. So in, in in this regard, I looked at the number of players in each round that actually hit 200 games played. You have your third round. Uh, you only hit on 19% of players actually make 200 initial games played. By the fourth round, that drops to 15%. So again, if you're thinking about roughly 30 picks, you're talking about maybe four picks uh, actually hitting, five picks at most. Fifth round, that drops down to 10%, sixth, 9%, seventh is going to be six, 6.7%. So actually just landing a lot of these extra picks, while great, still doesn't actually give you that much of an opportunity to hit on a great player uh, or even a guy that just makes the NHL that can even replace the guy you maybe gave up like in the John Merrill deal. So ultimately speaking, I do think there's something to be said in the way that Yes, it's nice having all these picks because it offers you a lot of opportunities, but if you make all those picks, just recognize that the probability of even landing an NHL player is still quite slim.
1: Yeah, it, it is quite low. And, and you have to recognize that. And so what but what you're looking for with the Red Wings, as you mentioned the other day, is you're looking for elite talent. And and while I think that um, this trade is no guarantee that you're gonna find that, nothing is. And in fact, in terms of the actual talent on your roster, I think you got a little less elite than you were yesterday when you had Anthony Manta on it. What the first round pick and the second round pick does is it adds enough, I think, added value um, or added expected value in those picks and at least the chance that, that you can hit a home run on those picks, that it really makes us a good deal for the Red Wings. I think that's where the, where the, where the win lies is in the picks um, and, and the potential that those picks give you. It's not a guarantee by any means, and it's possible that in three years we look back on this and say yeah it, it didn't really it didn't really work. but um, when you take the the aggregate of this deal, you take replacing um, Mantha with a still good productive young scoring winger who's got speed, who can score um, and, and gives you real present value and the potential for more future value, and then you top it off with the picks, which are no guarantee but which could have enormous value um, if a couple things break the right way. That's why I think the Red Wings did great here, Um, and it's not without loss. I mean, I think losing Anthony Manta is a blow. I I think it makes the Red Wings worse this year. I think it probably does delay their timeline just a little bit, and I think it costs them one of their two or three best players in the entire franchise, Um, and I think that even includes some of the prospects. You know, I I think really highly of Anthony Manta, and and what he showed in that 2019-20 season was a 70-point pace. We talked about that. That's elite, you know, or or it's, or it's borderline elite. It's it's very close to that that high tier. It's first line all day, and it's first line on a contender all day. And you no longer have him in the fold. You replace him with a player who I don't think by reputation is any more consistent than he is, um, but he is a little bit younger, and he still gives you the element, the added runway of those extra years, and and the scoring element that you're giving away, and, and you get those picks in the process. That is why the Red Wings did this deal. It, it was the combination of those two things. And so uh, the the picks aren't a slam dunk. The player is not a, uh, you know, an upgrade on Anthony Manzlan himself, but on the aggregate of all of it, that's where you see the Red Wings get their value.
2: Yeah, yeah that's absolutely it. And so in, in no capacity should this deal be viewed as anything less than an A from the Red Wings standpoint. I mean, they did everything they did. They landed a number of different cards. They opened up a number of different avenues, but at the end of the day, yes, they lost arguably their, their best, if not second best player on this team. And so, you know, when you kind of sit and reconcile with that, there are long-term implications for what this means. You know, Steve Eisman on day one said, you know, I it's going to be a long process. We're going to be here for a few years. It's going to take four or five years, but now you're a couple years into this rebuild uh, under Eiserman and you're making a deal like this for Anthony Mantha. I do think it does have significant implications. I think getting Jacob Vrana back is maybe a nice stopgap that doesn't necessarily set this back as much, but it's certainly I think a lot of this really hinges on how do the Red Wings approach the offseason? Because I think there's really two distinct directions they can go. They can say, we like our core of Larkin, Vrana, Bertuzzi. We're going to add these new guys in and we're going to watch this group for another year. Or it's, we're going to tear down even more. And now we're starting to talk about Tyler Bertuzzi deals. And we're starting to talk about Jacob Vrana deals. So I think that'll be a really interesting kind of thing to, to keep an eye on as the Wings hit the summer.
1: It will be. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what are your expectations for Verona the rest of this season? Because he's going to be jumping into a brand new system. He's only going to have 12 games to make whatever kind of impression he's going to make. He's not going to have a lick of chemistry, as far as I'm aware, with anybody on the ice. Maybe a couple of the Czech guys he would have seen at some kind of... But, but he's even he's much older than Zadina. Maybe he and Hirona could have a little bit of rapport dating back a while. Um, yeah. What What do you expect for, from Jacob Verona? And I guess we throw Richard Ponick into that the rest of this season.
2: Honestly, I have no expectations for either of them. It's it's so hard to do this uh, in a season like this, to to switch teams. These guys have to drive themselves uh, to get to the next team. The season's been such a, you know, hectic schedule where it's almost like you're playing back-to-back games or every other night. There's very limited practice. I suspect these guys are going to have a very tough time picking up the system. I expect there to be defensive miscues. I expect them to be in, you know, zig when their teammates are expecting them to to zag and that's going to happen. But I think Jacob Ron is a very talented player. I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, in his 12 games nets six or seven points and, and Panik has been a solid defensive player. So I think, you know, he's kind of in the mold of a Sam Gagne uh, to that respect as well. And so I think he'll, he'll be able to kind of shore up, you know, the bottom six for the Red Wings there. Um, But I'm coming into this with no significant, uh, expectations for either of them just because they are facing substantial challenges trying to integrate into a team in this season, in this pandemic with no practice effectively.
1: Yeah. I And, and so that's, that's the challenge that the Red Wings are going to face in evaluating him ahead of a contract too. I think that's a, a noted wrinkle. You got to trust the track record, but you got to understand that he's going to be in different circumstances. That's a relevant thing looking ahead to this summer. I guess the last thing that there is to discuss on this before uh, we get out of here and go watch the, the Red Wings Carolina game, which is going to start any second here um, is what does this mean? I guess for the rest of this summer, I mean, you you've, alluded in the past to uh, should the Red Wings be looking to make something like an offer sheet? It's kind of the eternal question that never really goes anywhere. Um, there's also, I think, the question of if you're willing to trade Anthony Mantha, are you willing to trade either Jacob Verana or Tyler Bertuzzi um, off of this deal to continue to, to, to go for picks? I mean, Steve Eisenman, in getting Verana, I think clearly signaled that they still want to be trying to improve next year. You probably don't want to be just making all of these moves in service of pure picks uh, without improving your team in the short run. But does this open the door for either of those two kind of things and maybe two kind of things that could, I guess, in some ways work in tandem?
2: Yeah, I mean, and those are really the two distinct, I think, avenues in which the Red Wings can decide to go down this summer. It's I want to retool very, very quickly, in which case you can maybe make the decision that I'm going to go after an offer sheet and people are instantly going to balk at the offer sheet. I'm not going to lay out the math for you this episode. Maybe I'll do it down the line <laughs> um, on, on why an offer sheet makes sense. But this season does hold a number of attractive candidates for an offer sheet. You're talking about Elias Pettersson, Andrei Svechnikov, Kale McCarr, Miro Heiskanen, Brady Kachuk. These are just five of the guys um, who are going to be in need of a new contract. And if, you know, Steve Eisman calls you up and, and is willing to, to make you a deal, Vancouver in particular, I think, is in a tough spot with Pettersson. You know, if you're able to land a 22 year old who's arguably one of the top five centers in hockey already, if not very, very close, you go out, you make a deal like that, you get Vrana resigned at a legitimate, uh, you know, reasonable deal, and then now all of a sudden you've got Zadina, you've got Larkin, you've got Pedersen, you've got Bertuzzi, Vrana, you bring in Sider, and you bring maybe Raymond in over at the end of next season, or even early the year after, and you say that's the direction I'm going to go. And if you're Detroit, you still have 40-some million dollars in cap space. You can absolutely go load up on people if you wanted to. Or what I think is the more likely option is you go down the route of, let's explore a Tyler Bertuzzi deal. Let's explore a Jacob Vrana deal. Let's see if we can pick, bring in more picks, more prospects. We'll build around Dylan Larkin right now, but recognize the future is going to be the Zadina, Raymond, my 2021 pick, my 2022 pick kind of core.
1: Here's one of my kind of reactions to this trade is that if the core continues to become this younger group, which I think a lot of people, um, you know, certainly who our listeners have seemed to think is already shifting toward this next wave, this is Adina Raymond Cider age group, more so than the Larkin Bertuzzi age group. I think those people are vindicated today by something like this, even though you're still getting Verana in there. Um, I think this does signal that maybe that's the case. And if that's the case, I think you're looking at Dylan Larkin almost in kind of the Gabriel Landeskog lens from now on, where he's he's the veteran steady leader. He's still going to be very good. Gabriel Landeskog has had some of his best seasons of his career in recent years in what are not thought to be kind of the uh, the peak prime years for, for NHL forwards. These are 26, 27, he's 28, is he 29? I think he's 28. Uh, I think he's 28. So, I mean, I, I think if you're looking at that and you're saying the Red Wings are going are to, you know, kind of start to turn this corner in, in two, three years and, and really be contenders in four five years, that really puts him right in the Gabriel Landeskog range. And that's maybe one of my kind of takeaways is do you start looking at Larkin as, as a Gabriel Landeskog um, figure in, in this Red Wings rebuild, which I think is still a centerpiece. He is the captain of the Colorado Avalanche. He has a heartbeat of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, He's just not the best player of the Colorado Avalanche. And I think it's entirely possible that that may be where this heads in, in terms of just the age curve analysis of, of this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you're OK with that. And I think you have to recognize that, you know, as much as uh, I probably over belabor the point of, uh, you know, getting younger, building around the young core. These teams don't win without veterans. I mean, you look at Tampa, you know, Steven Stamkos yeah. is an absolute stud. He's still helping them out. He's doing great things for, McDonough. for Tampa. Right. Ryan McDonough, absolutely going to be able to do that for you. And, you know, you look at Colorado, you look in Carolina, Jordan Stahl is being honored for his 1000th game here in Carolina. He's the captain of that team. He means a lot to that team. Uh, he is playing some of his best hockey right now. Um he is that seasoned veteran so you you need those guys around. Um, the question is always like can you do it at the right price? but Dylan Larkin is a red wing. he's a lifer. You absolutely can shift your core from Larkin mantha bertuzzi down to this Zadina Raymond cider, add other guys in as necessary, but still have Dylan Larkin be a focal point for this team.
1: It's interesting. And so I think I think as you go forward, you know, I, I know the offer sheet talk is 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 always the sexy item in every off-season. I maintain as I as I have that the ideal weaponization of an offer sheet is against a cap strap team for one of its non-cornerstone players, a player that you really liked, a player in the mold of last year Eric Chernak, not a cornerstone, really good player. And I think if you wanted to offer sheet him, you could have put Tampa Bay in a position where they could not have accepted. Whereas if you talk about offer sheeting guys like whether that be a Braden Point, whether that be an Elias Pettersson, whether that be for Tampa last year like a Mikhail Sergachev or Toronto a couple years back a Mitch Marner, they will move heaven and earth to make sure that you can't do that. You saw Columbus. Uh, kind of guarding against the Pierre-Luc Dubois offer sheet last off season, go for a player that a team cannot guard or will not, you know, move the pieces to guard against. I think that's the application of an offer sheet and that's where you're going to get it. The Red Wings are rich enough in those kind of middle round picks now that they can totally do that if they, if that's something they want to do, although they're still rare and I never will predict one because they just don't happen. Um, but if you want to do it, that's how I do it. I would, I would go for those second tier pieces, which is not to say they're bad players. It's just that they're not the core franchise players that, you know, if you come after Elias Petterson, Vancouver will do whatever they have to do. They will give their future first round picks to move Louis Erickson. And you've certainly kneecapped them that way. But all you've done uh, is made some other team rich in Vancouver's picked and, and, and drove Pedersen's cap hit up, most likely. You're not going to steal Pedersen from Vancouver. Um, and and if you are, then you are going to have to contend with he absolutely better make you good enough to get out of the lottery. And I think he does, but it's not a guarantee either, you know?
2: Yeah, and that is the challenge to it. I think, uh, you know, not to belabor this as we, we focus on the wings here, yeah. but you and I also just made a lot of fun of Jim Benning a couple of weeks ago, right? And you look at some of the moves he's making, uh, I mean, he's got Six guys making more than five million a year for next season, and he has to re-sign Quinn Hughes too. So I don't know. He's got his goalies making ten million between the two of them. They'll make it work, and only one—they're the franchise. They're the franchise. They—they the they, they are. And so again, I, we'll see what happens. But if I'm Detroit and I have plenty of money to drop eleven million on Elias Pettersson for seven years, I'm going to do it because he's actually worth all those picks. So, but I could see we'll the see. argument.
1: It, I wouldn't do it. I could see the argument. I mean, it, y- your whole goal is that if you, if you get, if you get one Elias Pettersson out of your next four draft picks, you're, you're thrilled. So just right. go get Elias Pettersson. You get Pettersen. one Elias Pettersson, you're good. Exactly. You're good. You're good. Um, yeah. I get the argument. I wouldn't do it. I don't think Vancouver would allow you to do it anyway, even if you, even if you thought you could, but you know, that's just me addressing the the, the Twitter uh, dialogue that I sat out a couple of days ago that you stirred <laughs> up. <laughs>
2: Max, we need fun in hockey. Give uh, me
1: this. No doubt, no doubt. I'm I'm not against it. I'm just weighing in, uh, and I'm weighing in here from the comfort of my own little uh, upstairs <laughs> where nobody can uh, ratio me until they decide to later. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where this leads. I think this is a this is a, a seismic move. Frankly, I mean, it, it's not uh, doesn't shatter the earth. I guess, but it it certainly is. It it shifts the the look of the Red Wings rebuild in a way that you know. It I would say it's like double the magnitude of the CU trade last year which was previously, I think the biggest move, so to speak that, that Iserman had made and we'll see where it goes. I mean, it, it opens up possibilities for them. I think it turns your focus to a bunch of other stuff. Um, but it, it's, a. Uh... It's a huge deal, and that's why we uh, tried to squeeze in a podcast before the game even started to address it. So apologies again. I think this is like the second podcast in a row that we've done right before a game and won't have addressed any game stuff. But uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that no one's going to really want to talk about the game tomorrow and they're only going to want to talk about this trade. So that's what we did.
2: Yeah. And so with that being said, I'm going to go grab my Anthony Mantis Centennial Classic jersey and turn this game on.
1: That's right. That's right. Enjoy it. And, uh, all of you out there, uh, I guess you're going to be listening to this after the game, but, uh, hope you enjoyed the game too. Take care.